Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God. Great work, Rachel. Great, great work. I could not have read that better. And then Sam, thank you for that great gift. Just thanks for giving that to us. I I think everyone, I do speak for everyone. I do. I'm the pastor. Um, But but it it really is a great gift. All right, I'll stop embarrassing. Like, it's great. Thank you. Um, New series, Acts. Okay. Um, Dr. Luke, not the American music producer. Dr. Luke. Uh, an earlier Dr. Luke, first century Dr. Luke, physician, pretty decent historian, uh, had some correspondence with a good friend of his, uh, Theophilus. I'm going to call him Theo from now on, okay? Um, And he said in these letters that he had uh, written a book of, uh, a book of sorts of all the things that Jesus said and did. That's what he said to his friend Theo, just like others had, um, Matthew, Mark, John, but he also did it. And then he tells his friend Theo, he says that there was this distinct hinge event that led him to write something else, and it wasn't about Jesus, it was about all the guys who had been around Jesus. And that's the book of Acts. Um, Now, look, why would that be interesting or noteworthy? Why would that that be interesting? Uh, After Mother Teresa died, Um, Well, let me just ask a different question. How many books have you read about all the underlings that were around Mother Teresa? Like, I've read books about Mother Teresa. I haven't read any books about all the people who worked with her. Okay? Um, uh, Steve Jobs died, okay? Um, I, I, I did, and you did, maybe. You would read a biography about Steve Jobs. Interesting. Would you read a book about what all his 12 department heads did. Mm, Not really. Why, why, why? I'm more curious about the genius of the person, Mother Teresa, Steve Jobs. I'm curious about that. Like, I don't care about your department heads. I don't. Like, I I have a big Amazon queue of all the books I need. It's enough for eight lifetimes. I will never read them. There are too many books for me to read in one lifetime. 
And so the only way someone it gets bumped into that queue is if someone comes to me and says, hey, Tim, I, I know you have a queue. I've heard about your queue, but you have got to read this book. And then they'll give me their rationale. Not a lot of books get bumped because I'm like, I only have one lifetime. I'm going to read these books. Okay, but so, or, sometimes I'll bump something up the queue. If you come to me and say, hey, I want you to read about Steve Jobs' underlings, I'm not going to bump it up the queue. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care what you say. It's not, it's not interesting to me. All right? Um, this, is why, this is why Acts is actually captivating and fascinating. You're like, I just thought you said it's not. This is why Acts is really super captivating and interesting. Is all historians and sociologists and anthropologists and students of geopolitical culture and culture transformations, even if you are not a Christian, they are fascinated by this one document, Acts. Fascinated by it. Because what? It shows the precursor and the foundations of one of the most bizarre, stark, radical, explosive shifts in all of culture. Right, right? Um, something happened in less than three centuries. Now, uh, think of what happens in less than three centuries here. A tiny group of, of mostly um, uh, peasants. Um, they're not rich. Uneducated peasants, they're not connected, they're poor, they have no armies. Um, uh, some of them are slaves. Some of them have been freed slaves. Some of them um, purchased their, or worked their way out of their own slaveship. And some of them were active slaves. Now, the, most of these people are social misfits and social bottom feeders. These, Christ, these new Christ, Christians. Okay, they have no political power. They have no, there's no, they don't have a university that is a bastion of their academia. They don't have that. Um, um, they, they have no lobby force. There's no cultural cachet with these weird Christians. It's not like they're trending hot and everyone's like, oh, I'm going to wear what the Christians are wearing. No, no, no. There's no cultural cachet. None of that. Um, 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 there's no influence in halls of power. They, they don't have nukes. They don't have gas and oil and energy reserves that they can use in a lever for other countries. They don't have any of that. And in about a little over 200 years, it changed an empire so much so, so much so, that the empire turned around and recognized the power of Christianity shaping its world and made it the official religion under Constantine. What? That's what's fascinating about 12 underlings. You caused that to happen? I'd read that book. I'd read that book. That's why we're going to read Acts. Okay, so um, this is what's amazing is um, you don't have to be a Christian um, to see that, whoa, that was really bizarre. That was a big shift. That was really... What happened there? What made the wealthy begin to realize that they weren't living for themselves or buying another property or getting more stuff, but what made the wealthy start to use their resources for the advantage of their neighbor and their culture and their civic communities? What happened there? How did that happen? Or, different question, it's like, how, what made the poor totally content not to chase the cheddar and they found all of their worth and their dignity and their value somewhere else than the chase. What, 
What is that? How did that happen? Look, look, Dr. Luke gets us inside. It's like, it's like at the beginning of, everyone wants to know um, at the beginning of Microsoft and Facebook and, and Google and, and Apple, they want to know like, oh, 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 what are all the things those unicorns did? Because maybe my unicorn can do that. And so Dr. Luke is giving us, it's giving, when I love this series. I have never um, in depth studied the book of Acts. This is the first time, and you can see maybe, wow, he's kind of fired up about this. It's amazing. And I hope that you catch some of that. I'm going to use a, a word here that has religious-y overtones to it for those that have heard it be used in church. Um, because um, what we're going to see here in Acts is we're going to see the beginning fuse of a massive, explosive, powerful, transformational, here's the word, Revival. Revival. Now, before you conjure up ideas of like big tents and a carnival organ, you know the carnival organ, the guy just pumping away at it. I can't mimic an organ. Okay, just pretend you can imagine the organ. Um, folks just being slain in the spirit and fervent pleas for donations. Like everybody, come on, can't y'all give a little bit more, right? And the guy with a handkerchief just mopping his, his forehead, walking back and forth. You see the big tent, right? Can you get the flavor? Yeah, that's not what I mean by revival. This is what I mean by revival. Um, I, I saw a movie in 2018. I even sang snippets of it that you missed. You missed. A Star is Born. Great flick. Um, a revival had happened with A Star is Born. Um, it first came out in 1937. And... Um, in 1954, somebody discovered and revisited 1937, A Star is Born, and then they made another one, 1954. And then in 1976, someone rediscovered and revisited A Star is Born, and they made another one, and everyone loved it, all right? In 2018, you're like, I bet I can finish this for you, Tim. Yeah, so, so we, we rediscovered what? There was an, some genius, some core and kernel genius in the Star is Born series. And, and, and then they remade it. And you know what? It was received and everyone else got into it again. They were like, yeah. That was pretty good, especially that one song you know I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, don't, 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 don't act like you're above it. I love that. So did you. So did you. I'm going to sing. I'm almost tempted to sing it again because I've rediscovered it. Yeah, Carl's like, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm on the All right. Um, see, I can't. I, I, I discovered a, ge- a shred of genius. All right, all right, what is this? This has happened with um, Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, um, uh, Art Deco architecture and design, um, neoclassical architecture, craftsman architecture. What, what, what happens? Someone has rediscovered it, revisited it, and says, there is something here, and I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to make it fresh, and what? Then people receive it, and they're like, yeah, that's awesome. What do we call those? A revival. A revival. You discovered an original genius 
and the people receive it again. That's what I'm talking about, revival. That's what I'm talking about. So this is what we're gonna do. I promise you, Acts is gonna be way better than us rediscovering cats. All right, I just promise you. Um, and this is where we're gonna go. And you're gonna be like, whoa, man, you haven't even shown us your outline yet. It goes quick. Okay, look, this is what I wanna do, is we're gonna discover the OG genius, that's original genius, of what happened in Acts, and it's based on three things that Luke, Dr. Luke tells us and tells his friend Theo, like th these are really important things that Jesus did, and then I'm just gonna give you one thought to think about at the end. All right, so what do people think about Christianity? Um, you, your Christian friend, I'm talking about here, maybe some Christian friends that don't go to this specific church, or, or a neighbor who's not in, into Jesus. What, what do you think they think about Christianity? So if we were to pop quiz someone and say, hey, um, what is Christianity all about? Go. And they're like, oh, wait, you didn't give me time. Okay, okay, um, 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 it's, uh, 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 okay, God loves people. I know that part. I know I haven't been in church, but I think Jesus died for your sins. You guys would say Jesus died for your sins, and now we should be loving and kind and nice to people. Okay, how'd I do? Is that a pretty good summation of Christianity? Everybody knows that. That's, that's kind of a summation of Christianity. Okay, let me ask you something. Have you ever been party? Have you ever been part to? Have you ever seen, experienced with your own eyes and your own experience, Christianity blitz through your own mind and heart while also going through a community at the same time? Some of you can be like, I don't know. Some of you are like, maybe, I think maybe I did. But there was an organ and there was a guy mopping his head. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or let, me, let me venture to guess. Maybe you've seen this. Maybe you've seen Christianity as um, the naughty police. You know what the naughty police is? Is, hey, look, just got to remind you again, we don't do those things. And um, Christians and Christianity are, we're the, we're the moral supervisors of the earth. Hey, just need to remind you, we don't do those things. Have you experienced Christianity like that? Or you've experienced Christianity like this is um, maybe it's all Christianity that you found is that, hey, it's a comforting, snuggy blanket for me when I get into a jam. what Michael Horton calls therapeutic deism. Have you experienced Christianity that way? Let, let me just ask you a different question about those two things. Um, moral police, moral supervision, or therapeutic deism. Have you ever seen Christianity as expressed like that? run like wildfire through your own heart and through a community? I'll answer for you. Nah. Those are lame. Those are really lame. Why is the Christianity, now, now do this, woo. Next step, okay. Now look at the Christianity you are now presently experiencing in your day-to-day. -day. 
the Christianity that you see, experience, and know, is that so very different from what we see in Acts? I want you to consider something. Maybe, 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 maybe you and I don't understand Christianity. Because it, when you see Christianity in its OG, core kernel form, it's an incredible force that goes bonkers. Acts 1, verse, uh, first, first two verses. Um, uh, he's writing to Theo, and he says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So um, to Dr. Luke, Christianity is about something that Jesus has done. It what? Christianity, sure as hellfire, is not about what you've done or what you're totally promising to do. I'm going to tell you that. Um, uh, There was a study done. It was released at the beginning of the summer, and it's a follow-up of a study that was done 10 years ago. And right now, the current state of the American church, and the numbers are a little off for those outside the church and, um, uh, and inside the church, but, but, but here, here's the, um, the metadata is this, is 67% of Americans inside and outside the church think that doing good things is what gets you to God. 67%. Now, there's two types of people here, right? So um, one type of person is like, hey, I, I, I think Jesus is a great model. What a wonderful example for all of us. Am I right? Am I right? Can I get an amen? Thank you for that great model and example. You're like, he sounds sarcastic. I'm not going to amen that. You guys are smart. Um, and, and what it is, it, here's what's behind that. Jesus is a great example. Here's what's behind that is bad people copy the good guy and then they get better and ultimately they get good because they've worked hard at mimicking and copying his example. So that's one person. Second person is like this. Um, Well, all good people find God. Have you heard that one? All good people find God. Like game recognizes game. You know what I mean? Right? Like good people, good people find God. The good attracts good. Uh, um, now, those two, those two reasons are the reason why Christianity is dead and dying. Because it ain't that. Uh, Dr. Luke is like, it's not about being good. It's about what this Jesus has done. It's about what this Jesus has done. Um, now, it begs the question, and this is what we're going to blitz through. Okay, what did he do again? Could you remind me what he did again? And here we are. Uh, he suffered. Okay? And all of us are like, okay, why? Su- okay, could you remind me again why he suffered and why that's OG, kernel of explosiveness? Could you remind me? Okay. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament. Now, um, there are some of us here that we resolve to read the Bible in a year program. Um, Look, look, Leviticus has just slain a ton of us. By the time we get to Leviticus, we're like, huh, 
I, th- I think I'll just pray this morning. <laughs> All right. Um, um, this is, our generation actually has just won an award. Our generation has the lowest amount of biblical literacy in the history of America. All right? So, so I'm not going to assume you've read the Old Testament. I'm just not going to do it. And you'll be like, oh, come on, Tim. I'm not going to assume you've read the Old Testament. Two things that we get in the Old Testament is there actually is a ton of, hey, you should do this and not that. There are commands and there are just hundreds of principles of living. Like, you really should do it a certain way. Okay, that's one thing that's in the Old Testament. The second thing that's in the Old Testament is tons of blood, tons of gore, tons of guts, tons of amazing, I mean, just adorable, cute animals dying. Like, that's what we have with the Old Testament. Now, now, now that's why Leviticus is a lot to take in. You're like, whoa, okay, I'm going to try next year. I will totally resolve to read the Bible next year. It's a lot to take in. Lots to do that is wrong and right and, and a lot of blood and dead animals. Whew. Okay. Why? There's this place in the Old Testament and it started out as a tent and it turned into um, a huge temple with, with huge stones. And it was a place where man could meet God and God could meet man. And what it was, it was just this temporary, tiny, tiny, tiny window replicating the Garden of Eden. When there was nothing between you guys, there was no beef or shade between you guys. And, and you could just enjoy each other and commune. That's it. And so the temple and the tabernacle stand for this place where man meets God and uh, God meets man. But nobody, nobody goes in without something dying. Nobody. So if an animal's not dying, a person's going to die. This is what they did in Old Testament. Like, you know what they do with the high priests, especially the ones that are suspect and they know are kind of shady? They're like, hey, hey, hey. Um, Eleazar, hey, hey, we just need you to, we're just going to tie this rope around your ankle, okay? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, hey, hey, could, could you go into the Holy of Holies now? Yeah, don't worry about the rope. It's cool. It's cool. It's fine. Why? Because if the sacrifice, if the dead animal wasn't enough and he's not right, guess what? He dies. And they're like, hey, I'm so glad I don't have to go in there. Like, like, like something's going to die for God to meet man and man meet God. Now you're like, that's kind of ancient and primeval. I don't know if you should be saying this, right? Um, um, Even in the Old Testament, it is never, 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 never enough to be a good and decent person to have access to God. Something's gonna die on your behalf. Now, um, um, now why is this? a little bit of a theological, all right, because I'm a factory of wrongdoing. I'm a factory of wrongdoing. There's a place on Colorado Boulevard. I, I, I saw it this past week. It says, um, it's awesome. It says uh, chocolate, and I love this word, manufactory. Oh, that's so vintage and hip. A chocolate manufactory. Huh, I might step in there one of these days. A manufactory, if you will. Okay, I'll stop with the manufactory bit. Okay. <laughs> it was like, no, it's no good. 
rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. All right, do you know what John Calvin said about your heart and my heart? We are a manufactory of substitute gods to worship and run after. That's why being a noble, nice, kind person, oh, we've, there's something there. There's blood that we need. Okay, now, um, the av- remember the average person, if you ask them, hey, what's, what's Christianity about? The average person says what? Um, hey, uh, I'm gonna try my best. I'm gonna try my very best. And, and, and I, I, I have a backup. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for forgiveness when I mess up. Isn't that great? Um, that does not fly. This does not fly in Christianity. You're like, well, I've heard it that way. It doesn't fly in Christianity. You try to bring that business, that no, you try to bring that noise in downtown LA. You try to roll up to the court hard, uh, courthouse. No, 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 this is better, this is better. Um, Judge Lance Ito. Do you all remember him? Come on, he's in our collective consciousness, right? <laughs> right? He's a hero. <laughs> okay, all right, maybe not a hero. I'll dial that one back. Um, okay, imagine O.J. Simpson talking to his honorable, his most honorableness, Lance Judge Ito. I say, you know what I'm talking about. And he says, hey, um, your honor, I got blinded by rage. I see that now. I do, I do. Um, I got caught up in the moment. I am so, so sorry. I will not do it again. I super promise, scout's honor. Like, I feel bad about this. Okay. Lance Ito would answer OJ and say, hey, OJ, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for seeing that. Thank you. you you're sorry, and you're asking for forgiveness. Thank you. Um, I see that you see the error and the impact of your ways, but Mr. Simpson, Mr. Simpson, something remains. There is something left over that requires payment. No human government that I am aware of, so let me know about it, no human government that I know of would ever accept, I am so, so sorry, will you please forgive me? I will totally try harder next time. No society, no culture, no organization that I know of can be run that way. If the honorable judge Lance Ito had done that and said, Okay, thanks for saying that. You go free, you. He would have been disbarred before he hit the parking lot. Uh, uh, Like, why, 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 why? Why would any of us and any of our friends have a lower bar for God in his governance and judgment than we would have for any other human institution? Something has to be paid for. Something. Every culture and society has recognized this. This is a human longing. This isn't a Christian longing. This is a human longing. Regardless of faith, regardless of your pretended or real denial of God, it's a real human longing. And Jesus says that appropriate reprisal, that blood, that just wrath, it goes on me. It goes on me. And I don't deserve it. It goes on me. So suffering, what? He says, I'm just a better version of that Old Testament lamb. 
suffering. Suffering lands on me. That's why Dr. Luke is like, you want to go to OG, original kernel of an explosive Christianity? You go back to Jesus paid it all. What? Really? We go, yes. That's what you go back to. He gets, he pays for that leftover. He pays for that barrier between God and man. Okay, um, the, the second thing that Dr. Luke says is this, is so the, the OG genius and core and kernel of Christianity is that Jesus suffered, but um, he became not dead. That's kind of like the resurrection. I just had to use different words. So he says this um, in Acts 1.3. Um, he presented himself, this is kind of, this is great, it's in the past. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. <laughs> All right? He is trying to prove, for 40 days, Jesus is trying to prove to them that it is me and I am alive and I am not dead. <laughs> All right. All right. So um, some of you know Alex Watlington, um, campus minister at USC, and I ripped this phrase off from him. It's a great phrase. And he, he says this, is that um, um, modern people think that we're this just amazing, enlightened, super, super critical thinkers, and, and, and um, ancient people uh, were just rubes and schlubs and, and simpletons. Like, they... They can't see life how we see it, right? <laughs> right? And he says this, we suffer, this is Alex Wallace's phrase, we suffer from chronological snobbery. We think we're better than the ancients. And you're like, huh, now that you mention it, <laughs> I do. <laughs> right? Like, like Jesus shows up it, when they're praying. And w- w- this is, did the disciples go like, huh? Of course, we knew it. Grab a chair, sit down. Saw it coming, called it. <laughs> Is that their response? No. Um, did someone put shrooms in the soup? Like, like, what? What's up? where are the smoke? Where's the smoke and mirrors? What kind of? There's a body double. There's a body. There's there's got to be a body double, a stunt double. Here, let me, let, me, let me put my hand in your side. I don't know if it sounded like that. That's just to get your attention. I was already listening, Tim. Okay, granted. Thank you. Thank you for that. He's talking to himself now. <laughs> um, look, the very first people to be convinced were Jews convinced that he was alive and not dead. Um, Why is that important? Um, Because the Jews of the first century didn't believe in the incarnation of a God, number one. Number two, um, they didn't, most of them didn't believe in the resurrection and and, and the portion that did believe in the resurrection just said it, it might happen on the last day, on the last day. Um, if you want skepticism, first century Jews make a way harder audience than modern tech people. Modern tech people who love numerology understand their relationships through horoscopes and see open parking spaces as cosmic karma for them giving $5 to a homeless person. So 
maybe we're not so amazing in our skepticism. Uh, it just shows us this. He, just, he wasn't mostly dead. He was all dead. And he's now alive. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? All of a sudden, the worst thing that can happen to you while you live, all of a sudden, it isn't the worst thing that can happen. All of a sudden, you don't have to squeeze all the awesome events into 85 years. I, I talk to so many people. Before I die, man, man, I just want to see the, the pyramids, man. Before I die, man, I just want to go to Bali and get one of those super long docks. You know what I'm talking about. Before I die, I just want to see my eight great-grandchildren. Before, you know what this does? You know what, the re, you know what the resurrection means? It means because you don't have to cram it into the 85, you can give your life away because more life is coming. And when that truth breaks out over a group of people, you know what they say? I can die now. And I can sacrificially be generous to my neighbor so that they flourish. And you know what? It happened, especially in pandemics. Okay, Dr. Luke says this. The OG core kernel of Christianity with all the power is that they're suffering and that Jesus and the resurrection is true. Jesus is alive. But here, here, this is the third one. Jesus only started this business. He only began it. That's what Dr. Luke says. Um, and the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, and John is only beginning something. And I'm including the crucifixion and the resurrection in that. That is only a beginning of what he's doing. Now, I know that the ascension doesn't get a lot of run. You're like, oh, you know, I hear about the cross and I hear about the resurrection. I don't hear a lot about the ascension. But this is, what, um, this is why the ascension just becomes absolutely crucial to your faith as a, Christ, in a, as a Christian. Um, it's, it's, it's described in Acts as just as crucial as the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus doesn't go up so that he can get away from you. He doesn't go up so he can get away from you. What, 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 John 16, John 16. I have to go away so that my spirit comes. I have to go away. So my, uh, Matthew, it says this in Matthew. Did you know that you, you all are gonna do bigger things than me. Jesus is talking. You're going to do greater things than me. But I have to go away so that that happens. Why is that the case? Because Jesus is one body and one person in one locality. And what is he saying? He's saying, when I go, my spirit goes with all my people and all my people are going to be everywhere. They're not going to be just in Galilee. They're going to be everywhere because the ascension is essential. That's a tongue twister. The ascension is it like like it means it means this. 
It means that your life right now is spreading his vitality and renewal in this world. You are the plan. Now, I'm not telling you to give you a self-esteem boost. I am the plan? No, I am just telling you because that is the plan. I don't, even, I don't even half mind whether you're excited about it or not. The truth of it is that you are the plan. You are the plan. All right, somebody can think this. Well, um, I, all I do is I get up and, and, and I get a cup of coffee and I go to work and I come home and I, I help a lot with domestic things and I grab some Netflix and I go to bed and I try to help with the schools and, and you know, community drives and whatnot. But to be honest, Tim, Pastor Tim, Pastor, Pastor, Moksanim, um, um, I, I feel stagnant. I feel listless. I feel very far away from God. TBH, TBH. Not much is happening in me or around me. IMHO. Come on, tech speak. You guys are there, in my honest opinion. You guys get it. All right. It's going to get a little real. Let me give you a 30-day challenge. People love challenges, and they love practicality. Let me give it to you. Um, I want you to pray every day for 30 days. Spirit of the living God, intrude into my life. Every area of it. Amen. Um, this is what's going to happen. Um, your life is, <laughs> I don't know why I'm smiling, but your life will get disrupted. I didn't say destroyed, but I did say disrupted. Every part of your life will get disrupted. And God's work will break anew over your head in every corner of your life, and that dynamic power will be unleashed again in his people. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to know what happens next. You will be disrupted. You will be disoriented. And you will pray for it to stop. Get this part. Most of us have actually worked our whole lives for hyper-controlled stasis. Disruption means that something has gone wrong. It is not God-given. So which is it? Do you want to experience the dynamic power of God all over again? Or did you just really want predictable stasis? Um, a lot of us are like, could you please give me the package, Tim, where I have predictable stasis and yet I experience this amazing growth and development. That package doesn't exist in Christianity. It just doesn't exist. Um, I've got to wrap this up. All right, and I'm going to do it quickly. 
I'm gonna do it really, really quickly. Um, this is one last thought for you. I'm gonna skip. This is dangerous. Um, this is the last thought. Uh, Dr. Luke says um, the, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1, I'm blitzing through my notes here. Acts 1, Paul says this. He says, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power, the, is the power of God. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, the gospel doesn't bring power. The good news, Jesus has done it all, is the power is the power. Jesus has done it all, is the power. Okay? Um, you bring that in. You bring that in constantly until your heart explodes with warmth. And I beg you, beg you, beg you, don't do anything else until your heart explodes. Please don't run around doing good works until your heart explodes with warmth in response to like, whoa, Jesus has done it all. Because that's the power. Please, please, please don't run around trying to do moral good things and just being busy and amazing. Please, 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 if you're going to get the dynamic power of Acts 1, please stop there and say, I need to understand Jesus has done it all. I need to. And until it breaks over your heart, you'll never have power and dynamism in your life. I'm, I'm telling you. All right, um, uh, Melissa and I were in this, this is the last illustration, we were in this cohort um, with internationals, international couples with, and we were doing this module with Tim Keller, and um, uh, there was this great study, story that he told us about a revival that had happened in 1859 in Northern Ireland across several townships, and um, and it was a revival, like people were just coming to Jesus, now, there was a, a curious subplot to this revival. A bunch of prostitutes were getting converted. Huh, interested? All of us, salaciously so? Huh, what happened there? Well, look, 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 you're no different. Um, the community took note too and said, huh, what's going on here? A journalist took note, huh. I wonder why that happened. Um, so they asked the prostitutes. And um, the number one finding that they found was that, you know, during the revival, um, business fell off. Huh. Two, a journalist asked them, um, you know, what else? And they said this, for the first time in our lives, People have treated us with kindness and respect. Okay. Number one, Jesus has done it all, began to what? Touch the irreligious. And they said, oh, I cannot exploit another human being for my pleasure. Not anymore. Not anymore. But it didn't just touch the irreligious, it touched the religious. The religious rediscovered the OG core kernel of power of Christianity all over again. Because they started looking at prostitutes and said, huh, I need the cross just as much as you do. Oh, you're not so different than me. 
I'm gonna give you the dignity and respect you're owed as an image bearer of Jesus. This is what I want you to see. Both the irreligious and the religious got good news and it changed something. Now what is it, what power does that have to do to change anything in the world? What, um, listen to this, is when the, ir- if, if this, if only the irreligious had been touched and they said, we're not gonna exploit people anymore. What, um, the prostitutes would never have any dignity or respect or value or worth. Or let's say all the church people rediscovered it just the church people, not the irreligious people. Let's say they just got it and they give them value. Um, they gave them value, dignity, and worth. And we're just like, you're so amazing. Under the, we're the same, me and you. But nothing happened with the irreligious. What? A culture wouldn't be changed. Townships wouldn't be changed and practices wouldn't be changed. This is what I want you to see is when the dynamic power of the gospel hits irreligious people and religious people is you have a dynamic explosive change that goes over a community. That's the power of the gospel. What is the power of the gospel? What, Jesus has paid it all. You are a sinner saved by grace. He's done it all. Let's pray, because we got a saying and it's late. Jesus, um, this, is, this kind of power is you-centered. Like, we'll never be able to say, look what we did but we're asking you to disrupt our lives in a frightened way almost because we want to experience that dynamic power. Jesus, by your spirit, do it again here in us. Change us and change the community around us. In Jesus' name, amen.